ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello, I'm Kirsty Melville and welcome to the History Listen. Joanna Kolofsky is from a Jewish family who left behind the loss and trauma of the Holocaust to build a successful life in Australia. But in 2022, Joanna returned to the family village in Germany with her adult children for a special commemoration. Joanna's grandmother, Laia, turns out to have been the last Jew from that village to be sent to a Nazi concentration camp and survive. How Laia survived has a lot to do with her husband, Joanna's non-Jewish grandfather, Adolf. This is that story. It's a Holocaust and a refugee story. But most of all, it's a love story of two people from different backgrounds who refuse to give up on each other, no matter the consequences. Hi. It's the 19th of June, 2022. I'm filming you. We've just arrived in Wenigsen, a small town an hour from Hanover in northern Germany. Oh, Mama. I am... Okay, I won't swear on camera in case we use this. It's hot and dry. Even at six at night, it's in the mid-30s. Very warm by Australian standards. An apocalyptic heat wave by German ones. That's our mother, Joanna Kolofsky. She's 75, but often taken for much younger. You'll hear her voice a lot, in English and in German. She's an internationally recognised mediator. She's previously served on Australia's National Native Title Tribunal. She's also a lot of fun. My father, when he came to Australia, got elocution lessons and spoke like this. And my brother and I took great joy in irritating him to the point where he'd lose his anglicised cool and he'd say, don't do this on the table. (laughs) The street we're walking down, Bahnhofstrasse, or Railway Station Street, leads directly from the quaint local train line. It's quiet, leafy, paved with cobblestones. But this isn't some European family get-together, because in 1945, Bahnhofstrasse had a different name, Adolf Hitlerstrasse. Wenigsen, like every town in Germany, was a Nazi town. It's also where Laia Zemmler lived with her husband, Adolf, before Laia, aged 56, was deported to the Theresienstadt concentration camp and Adolf, aged 50, was sent to a slave labour camp for refusing to abandon her. We're in Wenigsen because Laia and Adolf were our great-grandparents, our mother Joanna's grandparents. And because 77 years after the end of the Second World War, Wenigsen has decided to remember them. I'm Michaela Kolofsky. I'm her brother Rick Kolofsky. And this is part one of Laia's Way Home. So how did all this come about? Adolf and Lea Semler nach Wenigsen gekommen sind. That's historian Michael Wittisch explaining in a speech in German how he uncovered the story of Lea and Adolf Semler. He works for the town of Wenigsen, and it's he more than anyone who made our trip and this story possible. He's the last in a long line of people who've tried to prove Jews lived in Wenigsen before the war. It was 2019 when Michael Wittisch first wrote to our mother Joanna. Out of the blue, I got an email from someone whose name I didn't recognise and I was absolutely blown away and delighted. 
Wittisch had accidentally found reference in old municipal records to Laia and Adolf Zemmler being in Wenigsen, surviving the war and emigrating to Sydney. That led Wittisch to the online records of Laia and Adolf's daughter, Rose Ball, Joanna's mother, our grandmother. Joanna had placed Rose's papers with the State Library of New South Wales. After he tracked down Joanna, and then another three years of COVID delay, plans were made for commemoration events in Wenigsen. How Leia and Adolf came to be chosen for this honour, how the town came to accept Jews had lived here, is another fascinating part of this story. But first, who was Leia Zemmler? We asked our mum to describe her. As often on this trip, she found it deeply emotional. I have very strong memories of how she looked. Apparently, when she first arrived in Australia, she looked terrible. But she very quickly gained quite a lot of weight. And she was quite solid. And she always wore lace-up shoes made by Mr Percal in Sydney, a very famous shoemaker to all the stars of the Eastern European community, Jewish and otherwise. (laughs) And she wore an apron that didn't have a strap over the neck, but that had was pinned, pinned to her dress. Laia was born in Szedwowiec, Poland, in December 1889. She grew up in an extraordinarily poor family and told me that she was sent to work for a non-Jewish family in the nearby town when she was five to look after their smallest children. My grandmother's sisters Certainly one of them died in Auschwitz and there's no reason to presume that the others didn't follow. Adolf Zemmler was not Leia's first husband. She'd been married before in Poland in a Jewish marriage and when she and her Jewish husband arrived in Germany, he discovered that under the existing laws, if they weren't married in a civil ceremony, they weren't married, and he took off to England and was effectively never seen again. Lia and her first husband had two children, Rose, Joanna's mother, our grandmother, in 1913, and a son, Bernard, in 1914. Leia tracked her first husband down By that time, he lived in Plymouth in England and she asked him to bring Bernard and Rose to England because she couldn't protect them. Uh, Bernard looked very Jewish and he was being beaten up in the street. Leia was illiterate. She didn't go to school at all. And I've always thought it was remarkable that she managed to both track her first husband down and then arranged to have a letter sent to him in England. And his response? He would have been happy to have his son certainly come to him, but his present wife wouldn't like it. Life for Lyra and her children was precarious. If you were a Jewish woman in Germany and only spoke Yiddish and being the woman head of a household without education... Leah described herself as hamstern, which means going hamstering. Now, what does that mean? Hamsters store food in their cheeks. And Orma would lay hands on a bit of butter and she would take it to the countryside and trade it with someone for a bit of meat. Then she would trade the meat for a big basket of vegetables. Then she'd sell the vegetables, keeping some, and trade them again. But basically, the children starved. 
But in December 1926, she marries Adolf Zemmler in Hanover. Can you tell us about Adolf? Ah. What a man. When I first wrote to Wittich, wrote back to Wittich, I said, he was my hero. And that was before I knew how he had saved Orma. He was a man of very few words, a man of very, very limited education. He could actually sign his name, but he was functionally illiterate. He called me Die Prinzessin. Now, the reason I was a princess is that he discovered when I was five that I could read. And he assumed that only extraordinary, extraordinary people could read. So from then on, I was Die Prinzessin. I failed to tell him that all the other children in the class could also read. He was not demonstrative, but I knew how much he loved me. Adolf wasn't Jewish. He was born in 1895 in Vodzenek, probably then Ukraine. He served Germany in World War I. At some point between the wars, he converted to Judaism. I remember him being tall and grey, and I feel like he still had his little moustache. He did. A most unfortunate moustache, a little Adolf Hitler moustache, a little, a little postage stamp between his nose and his top lip. that was the style. That was the German style. Very much so. Adolf's name was a perfectly common and acceptable name until that name was sullied by association with Hitler. Quite, yes. Reaching right back into, into the time of Barbarossa, Adolfus. Lyra and Adolf lived in Hanover for 17 years, but in late 1943, they moved the short distance to Venixen. The reason, ironically, as it would turn out, was to escape the Allies, who were bombing Hanover. But while it's Venixen where they would experience the deeply traumatic events to be commemorated on this visit, most of our family seems never to have heard of Venixen. All we ever knew was that our family came from Hanover. Why don't you think they talked about Venixen? Look... Speak to anyone from Cambodia or any of those killing fields and they will tell you that they're not burdening their children with what happened to them. I didn't know until we went to Germany together. So you think they didn't talk about it because it was just too painful? Oh, I'm sure of it, yes. But we would get to know Venixen pretty well. In addition to the commemoration events, the town provided us a host of other remarkable experiences. To begin with, there was our accommodation. In 400-year-old monastic quarters, looking onto a beautiful, high stone-walled form of cloisters. And where every hour, the bells ring. Then, on our first full day in Venixen, there was a tour of the town. And the first demonstration of something we'd see again and again among the people of Venixen. A deep-seated acceptance that to move on from the past, first you have to accept it happened, and that your own community, even your own families, played a part in it. Ich sammle nur Briefmarken mit Abbildungen von Lokomotiven. He only collects stamps with pictures of, of trains. Yeah. Our guide was a former mayor of Venixen, Franz Blasek. He's been a key player in pushing the town to look into whether Jews lived here and to remember them. A former miner turned engineer, he's in his 80s and retired now. 
happily fixated on his stamp collection. Und mein guter Kumpel aus Australien, aus Geelong, As mayor, Herblasek was conservative. He says he's long done with politics. But when Joanna thought left-wing former German Chancellor Willy Brandt was from Wenigsen... No. Um Gottes Willen! No, no God forbid. Der kommt aus Lübeck. Aus, aus Lübeck. Der war, der war so unehelicher Sohn einer Prostituierten. Aber he, das, was the, he was the illegitimate son of a prostitute. And we weren't so sure Herblasek was completely over politics. Wenigsen is a pretty but sleepy place. With 15,000 people, it's too big to be quaint, but too small to have much buzz. It does have its charms, though. It's got local white asparagus, long as a ruler and thicker than your fingers. It was just delicious. Forest berries of a variety, size and sheer flavour unknown in Australia. But there were some oddities, too. Here's a line and you have to check a little bit how many... Minutes, it's uh, between Görlitz. That's a local scientist explaining how Wenigsen's grand town sundial works. It's inscribed with the names of the great scientists of history, including that of Werner von Braun, notorious architect of Nazi Germany's V2 rocket program. The United States tried to scrub von Braun's record when it bought his services after the war. But there's no outrunning the past. Von Braun played a key role in some of the Nazi regime's worst abuses, some that occurred very near Wenigsen, as we would see for ourselves the next day. Herb Lazek also took us through Wenigsen's beautiful town cemetery. We asked if there were any Jewish graves. That was all the encouragement he needed to give us an amazingly frank account of Wenigsen's past. We have bis vor ungefähr 15 Jahren or 20 Jahre überhaupt nicht gewusst, dass hier jemals jemand jüdischen Glaubens gewohnt hat. Oh, right. They, didn't, they didn't even know until 15 years ago that anybody Jewish lived here. Wenn mich einer im alten, alten Jahrtausend gefragt hätte, äh, sag mal, hast du was gegen Juden? Würde ich Gegenfrage stellen. Wer ist denn Jude? Ich, yes. ich erkenne die gar nicht. He said, if I'd been asked at a certain time in my life, if I was against Jews, I would have said, who are they? I don't even know who they are. Because he said, we just, uh, he said, not only did we try to destroy the people because of their religion, but we destroyed all memory of them. So it was as if they'd never been. Uh, Wenigsen war ein Nazi-Dorf. It was a Nazi town. Doch einer, einer von dem habe ich Post. Der war im KZ Theresienstadt. Ah. Der war Aufpasser dort. Wächter ah. war der. Ah, right. There was someone who lived here who was a, um, who was a guard at Theresienstadt. Hinterher war der Gastwirt. Plötzlich ist er reich geworden. And afterwards he had a, a bar or a pub and he became quite comfortable, really, afterwards. Dass er bei der Hitlerjugend war. Nearly every kid was a member of the Hitler Youth for the sport, not the politics. But then again, so was late Pope Benedict XVI when he was a teenager. After the war, Herr Blasek explained, the German education system first struggled to front up to the country's past. Ich bin 50 bis 59 in der Schule gewesen. He went to school between 50 and 59. Und unser, unsere Lehrerschaft hat in der Geschichte, im Geschichtsunterricht bei 1933 aufgehört. And they, their history teachers stopped at 1933. <laughs> that kept Blasek unaware of just how much antipathy the rest of Europe felt towards Germany in the aftermath of the war. Also in, in Amsterdam habe ich mal von einem Gastwirt 
zwei richtig derbe Ohrfeigen bekommen und er hat mich scheiß Nazi genannt. At 19, he told us, he was in Amsterdam to buy records. He's still a Beatles fanatic. When a local cafe owner punched him out and called him a Nazi shit. Are there any former soldiers still alive in Venixen? Ja, wir haben ein Mitglied, der ist 98 Jahre alt, der wohnt da oben in, 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 der, in den alten Wohnungen. Äh, der war Soldat. Er war nicht bei der SS, die eben in Frankreich ganze Kirchen angesteckt haben, wenn die Gläubigen drin waren, yes, yes. sondern er war bei der Einheit, die immer dann, wenn es brannte, nach vorne musste. He said there, there's a gentleman in the, he's now in the old people's home, he's 98, and he was in France. He wasn't a member of the SS, but he was with groups that set whole villages on fire. And after that was done, they had work to do because they used to um, try and hide the evidence. But Herr Blasek also wanted to stress how much Germany had changed. Ich bin immer so traurig und enttäuscht, dass man diese 30.000, 40.000 Klopte, die man immer noch, äh, denen immer noch der, der Nazitum heilig ist, dass wir deswegen immer wieder im Ausland ah. als Nazis bestimmt nein, werden. Nein, nein, nein. Er sagte, es gibt 30.000 oder 40.000 Deutschen, für die der Past ist heilig. Aber für den Rest von uns ist es einfach absolut nicht. Dann, am Abend von diesem ersten Tag in Venixen, The moment arrived for perhaps the reason we had come. There was going to be a special ceremony for Laia and Adolf. The laying of the Stolpersteiner or stumbling stones, inscribed with our great-grandparents' names and the details of their ordeal and liberation. Joanna explained to us what stumbling stones are. They're little blocks of brass in the footpath recording the name of people who lived there when they were born and when and where they died. It's now the largest diffuse museum in the world. There was an expression during the time of the, of the Nazis that if anybody stumbled in the street, a Jew must be living here. And Gunther Demning decided that his Stolpersteine were going to remind people of that shameful episode. The stumbling stones were to be laid in the pavement outside where Leia and Adolf lived in a tiny apartment back in 1945. Leia and Adolf's former home is now number 15 Neustadtstrasse, New Nation Street. It's a peaceful middle-class area, 15 minutes walk from the town centre. Just like Bahnhofstrasse, Herr Blasek told us this street too had a different name in 1945, Hermann Göringstrasse. This renaming of streets in honour of prominent Third Reich leaders was common in that period, we were told. And the local mayor at the time was, in Herr Blasek's words, ein Edelnazi, a devoted Nazi, eager to ally his Wenigsen with the Hitler regime. Today, 15 Neustadtstrasse is a big, elegant single home. It's got high walls, it's white, it's fashionably spare. But in 1945, this was probably an old farmhouse with some tiny apartment spaces made available cheaply to help bring in extra income. That's where Laia and Adolf would have lived. We wondered what Laia would have made of all of this. <sighs> I can't imagine. She was so modest. But she was always very ambitious for me. Years ago, somebody said to me, do you have messages from your childhood that helped to launch you in the world? And I said, yes. 
my grandmother used to stand on the doorstep when I hesitated and she'd say, Geishoin, she'd say in Yiddish, get going. As if to say the world's waiting. Waiting for us were about 80 to 100 people, an unexpectedly high turnout. Neighbours, officials, well-wishers from across Fenixen. Yeah, guten Tag. One opportunity we never imagined was to meet the current owner of the house, businesswoman Zilke Stremlau. I'm living in this house, oh, wow. so I'm very happy that you're here. Oh, wow. You're welcome. Hello. Nice to meet you. Oh, yeah. Last week, uh, we just uh, know that the, the, your your, I think your father, grandfather and grandmother has great, lived there. Great, 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 great grandmother. So, yeah, it's a pleasure for us that you're here and uh, we can invite you and have this action now here. It's very good. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Zulke even invited us back for a private tour of the home where our great-grandparents had lived more than 75 years before. The ceremony began. A duo performed the Yiddish classic Donna Donna. The young current mayor, Inga Klockermann, who was to lay the stumbling stones with Joanna, paid tribute to their creator, Berlin artist Gunther Demnig. Since starting in Germany in 1992, Demnig's been responsible for laying over 90,000 stumbling stones in some 28 European countries, all of them commemorating victims of Nazi persecution. Not only Jews, but also gay people, Romani and the disabled. A person is forgotten when their name is forgotten, Mayor Klockerman quoted Demnig. To lay a stumbling stone is to hand the name of a victim back to the place where they lived. The mayor thanked us for being there, calling it a wonderful sign of reconciliation. Historian Michael Wittisch, who had devoted himself to tracking down every detail of Lyre and Adolf's lives in Wenigsen, recited the terrible facts of their capture from here. In February 1945, Adolf was transported to the slave labour camp. No longer able to protect Lyre, she was arrested later the same month and transported to the concentration camp at Theresienstadt. It was a journey of four and a half days by cattle car train, in horrific conditions. Finally, Joanna spoke. By then, the wind had kicked up. She's a crier at the best of times. So much so on this occasion, she even read a page out of order and had to go back. But she did it, and in German. I stand before you today, the granddaughter of Laia and Adolf Zemmler, full of pride and gratitude, pride in being their descendant, and grateful that you have acknowledged them and the simple and blameless lives they lived in Germany. Opa, man of courage that he was, refused over and over again to renounce her. Opa proudly told me that whenever the Gestapo came for her, he showed them his medals and asked if they were seriously going to take away the wife of a hero of World War I. One of the first things Herr Wittisch asked me was whether I had the medals. So I sent the photo I look at every day on a table in my lounge room. 
Herr Wittig wrote back immediately saying, he's wearing it. And there it was, a small silver band with a cross at each end on his lapel that I'd never noticed. He'd been awarded a medal as hero of the field first class. We can only assume that when the Gestapo arrested them both, they took it from him. I like to think they felt a moment of shame. Opa was a far-sighted man, a planner, and very determined. He used to say, he told Oma, wir werden das überleben, und wenn es zu Ende ist, treffen wir uns in Wenigsen. We will survive this, and when it's over, we will meet in Wenigsen. My mother was informed they'd survived and arranged for them to come to Australia on the post-war refugee programme. Like many refugee families, both my parents worked, so our grandparents were more like parents, and we loved them dearly. They said little about what they'd experienced. Like many Jews, they kept silent and didn't want to burden us with the horrors they lived through. I caught glimpses, however. Theresienstadt, where Leia was sent, was a way station for trains on their way to Auschwitz. Oma used to say, if I could forgive the Nazis everything, I could not forgive them for the children. She had seen little children arrive on the platform from trains crowded with children. The little ones, some as young as three, were cradling newborn babies. And in the morning they were gone. Ours is not a special family, on the contrary. It's an ordinary family. Laia and Adolf's was a mixed marriage, testimony to people's capacity to love one another across the supposed gulf of culture and religion. In my own way, I've tried to keep alive my parents' optimism that there is a better way for people to live in harmony, to turn their backs on hatred and recrimination, to focus on what's good. Anne Frank said, I believe in the good in people. So did my parents and my grandparents. And so do I. Our mum wasn't the only one crying now. The Stolpersteiner were laid. It had all been perfect. But across the road was a late middle-aged man. He looked like a hippie but he carried a flag I didn't recognise, and now he was coming across the road to us. Was this going to be trouble? In fact, he was just coming to lay flowers on our great-grandparents' stumbling stones. His name was Hamut Rama. His flag was that of the VVN, a German anti-fascist political party founded by victims of the Nazi regime. I had misjudged this man. Just by his appearance, the irony was not lost on me. But our antenna were up for a reason. From the start, police had been holding back another, older man from getting to us. He was carrying an anti-Semitic sign. He was in his 80s or 90s, old enough maybe to be one of those 30 to 40,000 Herr Blazak had warned us still cling to old Nazi beliefs. And then the old man broke through the police cordon. Next time on Liar's Way Home, Michaela and Rick learn the true motive of the old man lunging towards them. And they discover the enormous sacrifice their great-grandfather Adolf made when he refused to abandon Liar. 
Liar's Way Home is written and narrated by Michaela and Rick Kolofsky and produced by Claudia Taranto. The sound engineer is Hamish Camilleri. I'm Kirsty Melville and I'll catch you next time. You're on the History Listen. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.